Thank you very much for having me here at St. Joseph's tonight uh, to share God's word with you. It's a privilege um, to be here. My name's Matthew. As uh, Ken introduced me, I'm one of the elders from Hope Church in Wall's End. Um, We were a year old this month, um, but we're a fellow Amy Church, and we're very thankful first up. I'd like to say thank you to you as a congregation for um, the support we've had uh, from St. Joseph's. You've welcomed us here over Christmas. Um, You may remember Ben Cadu Hudson um, spoke here, but we had a a gang of us here. While our venue wasn't available, which is um, Sega Dunham, we're in the conference rooms at the Rome Museum, and they're a fantastic venue for us, but they close over Christmas. You've been helping us with musicians and uh, invaluable advice and encouragement, so thank you very much. If you're not aware of that, thank you anyway. Uh, But it's been a real encouragement for us. Our church family thanks you as partners in the gospel and looks forward to continuing to work together in the future to make the message of Jesus known in our region. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, please open our eyes to see the spiritual reality around us. May we grasp the good news that you are the saviour of the world and share that news with a thirsty world. To your glory. Amen. So you've been working through John's Gospel um, over the last few Sunday evenings. And last week, you ended on a bit of a bombshell. Um, This comes in this week with uh, just then. And it's because there was a real bombshell at the end of last week's reading. Jesus was talking with a Samaritan woman who came to draw water um, from the well. She came during the middle of the day. But as the conversation moved on, she gradually realized, firstly, that this Jewish man she hadn't expected to meet, who treated her with respect and care, was actually maybe a prophet, because he um, showed supernatural knowledge of her life circumstances. And then, as the conversation went on and he taught her of the true worship which God was seeking, he made a massive claim. She said, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus simply replied, I who speak to you am he. What a revelation to end on. And that that was the cliffhanger ending we had last week. When he comes, uh, he will tell us all things. I, who speak to you, am he. Mind-blowing. She's just gone to the well to get water. It's an ordinary day. And at the well, she meets a man who knows her life story, calmly tells her that he's the promised king. He's the Messiah who would sweep away all corruption, the one who'd restore God's rule. Unbelievable. Extraordinary. And she believed him. But what happened next was utterly mundane. Quite the come down. Have you ever walked into a room and realised it's the wrong wrong time? Maybe it's gone silent. Do you back out? Is it more embarrassing to stay or is it more embarrassing to back out? Well, that's, that's what happened next with the disciples. Just then, the disciples came back. That's how we started. They marvelled, verse 27, they marvelled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? They just thought it. Just as Jesus reveals that he's a promised king, the disciples turn up and interrupt the conversation. They try not to be rude, but it's obvious from their looks and their awkwardness what they're thinking. Why is their rabbi talking to this Samaritan woman? So she doesn't hang around. She rushes back into town, leaving her water jar, forgetting why she'd come to tell everyone about this amazing Jew at the well. The disciples are such a contrast to the excitement she's been showing, aren't they? They just don't get it. Once the woman's gone, they try to get Jesus to have something to eat because they've gone to get food. They're on task. But he isn't interested in that. 
They have a conversation at cross-purposes, much like the woman was in her conversation where she's talking about water from the well, and he's telling her about uh, eternal life and the water that never runs out, that he can give, spiritual water. And it's a very similar conversation where the disciples are talking about their lunch, and Jesus is saying, I've, I've got food that sustains me. I'm sustained by God's work. They wonder if someone's brought him lunch. So if we look at verse 31, this is how the conversation goes on. Rabbi, eat. Have something. We've gone and got these sandwiches. I have food to eat that you do not know about. Has anyone brought him something to eat? What's, what's he talking about? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work, Jesus says. And then he uses two common sayings for them to try to teach them to open their eyes to see what's really going on. The first is, there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Verse 35. To me, that's always sounded a very niche saying because you could only say that once a year. But actually, um, reading around this, uh, it turns out there's a bit more sense when in Israel at that time, they had three harvests. It was pretty much always the case. You had the grain harvest, the olive harvest, the grape harvest. And they came a few months apart each one. So you could pretty much say most of the year, four months, then it will be harvest. So uh, I'm guessing it's a bit of a manana sort of phrase. It's not harvest yet. You've got plenty of time. We don't have to do the work. You've got four months. Relax. Don't need to rush. I might be wrong on that interpretation, but that's, that's what I think that saying is. And it does make sense of the use that Jesus makes of it, which is the important thing. Look, I tell you, verse 35, lift up your eyes, see that the fields are white for harvest. You're saying four months, wait. Wake up, open your eyes. Stop sitting around and talking about food. It's harvest time. There's work to be done. The encouragement to look up, to open their eyes, wasn't just spiritual, it was literal. Look over the fields. The villagers are coming. The Samaritan woman's gone. She's recruited her whole village. In their white clothing, they'd be coming over the fields to see what the woman was so excited about, to find for themselves who Jesus was. A harvest of people needing rescue, not of grain. And then the second common saying that he uses to try and teach them was one sows and another reaps, verse 37. It might be a bit fatalistic if you're in a, a land that's been occupied and defeated, um, defeated many times and had armies coming through. You reap what you haven't worked for. One person does the investing, does all the hard work, and then someone else comes along and harvests and takes your grain. But both sowing and reaping are hard work. But Jesus uses it to make the point that they're reaping the harvest that others have worked for over many years, that sower and reaper may rejoice together. Verse 36. Those who faithfully passed on the promises of God. The woman knew the Messiah was coming. This was a Samaritan village that had been prepared over many years thanks to sowing done by prophets, by many faithful believers, over hundreds of years, they maintained a hope in that village that God's king would come. That was their expectation. And now the fulfillment of all those promises, of the hard work of all those sowers over so many years, had come, and the disciples were the ones who were on hand to reap that harvest, however blind and, um, and inadequate they were to do that. In God's kingdom, though, sower and reaper rejoice together. There's no competition. What matters is the harvest is brought in. And all those anonymous, faithful believers over the years were rejoicing with the disciples and the prophets and the angels in heaven over this harvest of Samaritan believers, rescued from sin and death. That was why Jesus could go without his lunch. This was far more worthwhile. 
doing the work of his father who sent him. Obviously, he's hungry, but priorities. The disciples, they might not quite be there, but the Samaritan woman does have her priorities right. She'd come to the well for water, but when she was offered living water instead, she left her jar there. She rushes away, no longer concerned for the water that she'd come for, but desperate to make sure that nothing slows her down as she rushes back to the village where probably she was ostracized to share what she'd seen and heard. Goes back to the village that didn't want to know her, that meant that she had to come out at lunchtime, probably. And what did she say? She said, verse 29, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they did come and see. They listened to her. She was so compelling that just as she left her water jar by the well, they dropped what they were doing in the middle of the day and they came out to the well to see this man, to find out who she was talking about. And when they saw him, they asked him to stay. And he did, and taught them for two more days. And many of them came to believe, not just because of the testimony of the woman, but because they heard for themselves and they believed what they heard. She overcame her shame to call her village, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. She's like in chapter one when you have Andrew bringing Simon to Jesus or Philip bringing Nathaniel. Come and see. But in her excitement, she brings her whole village, not just her friend or her brother. And they come and they see. So it's a great story. But what are the lessons for us from this great occasion for that village and fantastic for that village that they all had the opportunity to spend those two days hearing from Jesus and that so many of them came to believe in him as the king? Well, firstly, we need to learn to open our spiritual eyes like the disciples did. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Sometimes there's more going on than we can see on the surface. We need to learn to see our communities as God sees them. And that will take prayer. There are so many around us in Benwell, in the region, who have no hope, who are heading to eternity without knowing Jesus. Does your heart break for them? The scale of the task for us in making Jesus known in our area is daunting. But also, God is at work in people's lives, whether we're aware of it or not. We've seen over the last year at Hope Church how God has put some people in just the right place to join us and come and hear the gospel, spiritually and physically in the right places, in ways that have been totally unexpected. And we've seen the hunger that some people have to know the truth, to hear the message of Jesus. I'd love to say that we're seeing a great harvest, and we're not so far, but what we can definitely see is how God is doing the work of preparing individuals to hear and respond to the gospel, putting them in the right place, putting them in the right relationships, at just the right time that they might hear God's message, just as he's working in us to grow our love for each other and our dependence on him, and we've seen that too. Sometimes we, we become despondent, and we just gradually, without really realizing it, we stop sharing the gospel, we stop talking about Jesus, it stops becoming something that comes up in conversation. Sometimes because we just assume that the response is gonna be negative. So we avoid that by just not mentioning the trust we have in Jesus. Or if we do mention Jesus, it's, it's as if we're embarrassed by him. That we feel we ought to, but it's, I know this won't be of any interest to you, but, um, but actually maybe you'd like to come to church. 
I'm talking from experience here. This is how I find myself becoming to my shame. But if we pluck up our courage, there may be more of an interest than we think. I know there, there are people who wouldn't dare to come to church in person who watch services online, and it's great that you're still streaming in the morning. If we pluck up our courage, there may be more interest than we think. I know COVID, the cost of living crisis, it's exposed the emptiness of so many of the promises the world makes. We are not just going to keep on getting more comfortable and keep on getting richer and things will get better and better. And so what is there to life? What more is there? And people are asking those questions. Some people are more than willing to give us a hearing, are intrigued by Jesus. Many others might be apathetic or antagonistic too, but let's not be put off from seeking that harvest. It's easy to be like the saying, four months, then comes the harvest. Pray, plan, prepare, gather a team, build relationships, make sure we've got the resources, all good things. When God might just be calling us to go for it. Start praying for a harvest. Start talking about Jesus. See what happens. The season we're in last year for us at Hope Church, we set a lot of the foundations and we did all the documents we need, the governance and um, safeguarding and uh, what does it mean for the council, what's it be part of Amy. This year our main focus is on getting out in the community and we're just kicking off loads of different low-key ways of getting to know more people and seeing what sticks. And we know that a lot of them won't, but some of them will. And praying that God will bring us into touch with the people that he's already prepared to hear the gospel. And when we do pluck up the courage to talk about Jesus, we can take great encouragement from Jesus' saying, the sower and the reaper will rejoice together. We might be called to sow and never see a harvest. We might be the ones called to harvest. Whatever our part in God's mission, we don't know. But is it going to be great as we find out in heaven? And that's one of the joys of being brought together in a church family. Some people are naturally gifted in evangelism. Some find it terrifying. Some find inviting people really easy, and they make friends really easy, and they're really gregarious. Some build relationships with people. Some are faithful, devoted prayers. Some maintain the heating. Some provide the biscuits. We all provide different skills. We come together, and we sow, and we reap together. We don't do this on our own. We do it as a church and we rejoice together as a church family when we see a harvest. And another lesson from this story is how simple that woman's testimony was when she went off into her village. Come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Having experienced God's grace and love in Jesus, her first thought was to excitedly share that good news she'd found. And she didn't just tell the man she was with, she told the whole town. She told everyone she could find. She wasn't the most popular person. She was a woman who had to go on her own to get water from the well in the middle of the day. But still she went back into town and told everyone she met to come and see the man she found. No matter if they shunned her, if they'd gossiped about her, she wanted everyone to know what she knew, to meet the man that she'd met. She didn't wait to learn a gospel outline or until she could answer all the questions that she had. She just invited one and all to come and meet Jesus. Find out for yourself. And we can do the same. We've been using these books, uh, Word One to One, at Hope Church. And they're fantastically easy to use. They're, um, they take you through John's gospel. 
just one bit at a time. You have a bit of, the, uh, of John's Gospel, you have some comments on it and some questions you might want to discuss. They're designed for one-to-one -one Bible reading. They're great to do with um, people who are believers or people who aren't believers. But they give you everything you need in a book. Um, there's a pile of them at the back, and Ken says if you'd like to take one, donations welcome, um, but help yourselves, because these are great books. You can also, completely free, if you're more technological, feel free to download the app. That's on, online free. Just search for the word one-to-one -one in your app store. So these give you the words of John's Gospel, some explanations, some background, so anyone can just sit alongside a friend or neighbour and introduce them to Jesus as he walks off the pages of John's Gospel, as you've been doing on Sunday evenings. The main thing is evangelism, talking about Jesus, it's not hard. It's not rocket science. It's just saying, come and see. Meet Jesus. Can this be the Christ? Can he be the saviour we're longing for? Can this be an explanation for why the world is the way it is and what our future has in store. And then looking at who Jesus was and why he came together to share the life-changing good news we have. It's that simple. Come, see. And in this Samaritan town, they had such a great response, a great harvest. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the saviour of the world. That's such a different response to what Jesus had in Jerusalem back in chapter 2, isn't it? There we read, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. These Samaritans didn't have any signs. There's no miracles in this. Well, there are hundreds of miracles because there are dozens. There are all the Samaritans that are coming to faith, which is the greatest miracle. But there are no dramatic signs in this passage. They just believed because of the word. They heard what he said. And Jesus wouldn't entrust himself to the Jews of Jerusalem, the religious elites, the center of the nation that had been prepared for centuries to receive him, but he did stay two days in Samaria in this out-of-the-way village, sharing his life with them. And it's no coincidence that the first I am in John is to the Samaritan woman. Did you notice that at the end of last week? I know Messiah is coming. I who speak to you am he. I am. As we continue through John's Gospel, we're going to see the Jews in Jerusalem increasingly and repeatedly rejecting Jesus. While those further from the center of Jewish religious life like these Samaritans, the Galileans, the unclean, the cripples, the outsiders, they're the ones who are increasingly going to welcome him. And then in Acts 8, we've been reading through Acts at Hope Church, you get Peter and John go back to Samaria to pray for Samaritan believers who've been baptised and witnessing them receive the Holy Spirit, welcoming them into the church alongside the Jews, healing that rift that's been going for centuries. The recognition of Jesus by this Samaritan village as saviour of the world foreshadows that future harvest that will come in Samaria. And the spread of the gospel then throughout the world beyond Samaria to the ends of the earth, even to Benwell. No one is beyond God's call. No one is too messed up or complicated to come to him, just as no one is too outwardly sorted to need his love and forgiveness. In fact, we see in John's Gospel, the more we recognise we are not okay, 
the more likely we are to accept the life-giving, cleansing water that Jesus offered the woman. Morality tells us to come and tries to make us someone we aren't. Jesus tells us, come and learn to be who we truly are, who he made us to be. So if you've never come to him, come and see for yourself. Listen to his words. Keep reading through John's Gospel. Maybe download the one-to-one app. Find him to be the saviour of the world. And if you've already experienced the living water he offers, let's get on with sharing that. Let's get on with inviting others to come and see, however outwardly unexpected they might be like that woman. Come and see. Can this be the saviour of the world, the one we're all waiting for? Let's pray. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the saviour of the world, even of each one of us. Thank you that you are still at work calling people to yourself. Help us to play our part in inviting others in our community to come and see that through believing in you, they may have life. Thank you for your patience with us and your love for us as we are. Amen.